Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Yvonne Winchett Sanchez, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about impeachment. We'll give you an update on how our Arizona senators may vote and what their posturing during the impeachment trial tells us about their long-term careers. The story of impeachment starts in September 2019, when House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat from California, announced a formal impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. The actions taken to date by the president have seriously violated the Constitution. Pelosi's announcement came after a whistleblower filed a formal complaint about President Trump. The actions of the Trump presidency revealed the dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. The complaint cited concerns about a phone call in which the president asked the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, to investigate a political rival's son for corruption. The rival was former Vice President Joe Biden, who may face Trump in the 2020 election if he secures the Democratic nomination for president. The House of Representatives voted along party lines to impeach the president in December. Now it's the Senate's turn. It's unlikely that Trump will be convicted and removed from office. Everyone understands that walking in. Republicans hold the majority, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he's coordinating with the Trump administration. I'm going to coordinate with the president's lawyers, so there won't be any difference between us on how to do this. Watching the impeachment trial unfold is, I mean, honestly, from our vantage point at least, pretty dry. Senators have to sit for hours and hours and hours on end, one day it was up to 13 hours, without their phones. For you and I, we're relegated really uh, to watch this thing along TV, and the camera angle is mostly focused only on the person who's speaking. But really, the only interesting tidbit that I've kind of found is that Senator Kirsten Sinema, who's a Democrat, and Senator Martha McSally, the Republican, sit directly kind of across from each other, uh, across from the chamber. And it's obviously no secret that they're not close. More importantly, though, what this impeachment trial tells us is what our nation's senators prioritize. What comes first, principles or politics? For Arizona's own, Kirsten Cinema and Martha McSally, we get a unique chance to see how they view their own viability. So, Yvonne, we're recording this on Monday, January 27th, full disclosure to our listeners. By the time this episode releases on Wednesday, January 29th, a lot more may have unfolded. But let's catch up to this point. Where are we at in the trial? Today, the president's defense team taking center stage again as the Senate impeachment trial continues on Capitol Hill. So we are in the middle of President Donald Trump's defense team making their arguments as to why he should not be found guilty, essentially, of two counts of articles of impeachment. You will find that the president did absolutely nothing wrong. 
And they essentially are trying to make the case that Democrats have cherry-picked facts and figures to try to portray an inaccurate picture of President Trump's dealings with Ukraine. Most of the Democrats' witnesses have never spoken to the president at all, let alone about Ukraine security assistance. And in doing so, according to the president's team, they are trying to not only undo the 2016 election, but they are trying to deny Americans, to deny voters, a fair vote in the upcoming 2020 contest. The president's team has until today to finish with their arguments, but they did a pretty good job, I would say, in the first two hours of their appearance before the Senate on Saturday of really trying to make a succinct case that, you know, senators have not been given all the facts. And so that's really what the president's team is going to try to deliver over the next um, couple of days. House managers have made their case as well. Overnight, House Democrats who are prosecuting the case against the president stepped up their calls for witnesses to testify, writing, Americans know that a fair trial must include both the documents and witnesses blocked by the president. That starts with Mr. Bolton. Throughout three days of testimony with all of these senators cloistered in this itty bitty tiny chamber, they have made the case that, you know, the future of this country is at stake. Much bigger fight than what is going on, uh, if you think globally, and what's at stake. But essentially, that's where we're at. So there's another aspect of this trial that is sort of approaching uh, a real important point here, and that's the question of what to do about witnesses. Tell us first about Kirsten Cinema. How does she view that issue? So she has consistently said, look, I am not going to answer all of your questions about this witness or that witness on a piecemeal basis. But what I will say is that I want to see all the evidence. And so she is certainly leaving the impression that if there is evidence out there that could be material to the articles of impeachment and could be relevant to, you know, this proceeding, which is both legal and political, she is open to seeing that evidence. That's, if you're reading between the lines, that's what her statements say. Okay, so that's our Democrat in the Senate. Tell us about Martha McSally. What is her view on the issue of witnesses? That's a very good question because I don't think we have a definitive answer on that. She was asked repeatedly by local press if she wanted to hear from additional witnesses. She sidesteps the question. When asked by a CNN reporter, Manu Raju, as to whether or not she wants to hear from additional witnesses, she calls him a liberal hack. That goes viral. We all know how that ends. The bottom line is she has sidestepped answering this question, only saying that she wants to see a fair trial. What is fair, right? That's what it's going to come down to. So she's now going to be confronted with going on the record with, you know, what constitutes a, tr a fair trial. Does that include hearing from former National Security Advisor John Bolton? Does that include taking a look at the manuscript of the book that was, you know, submitted to the White House for review? Like, what, what does that include? And that's something she really is going to have to answer for. Okay, so let's talk about John Bolton here for a moment. Overnight, an explosive new account from former National Security Advisor John Bolton that could undercut the president's case. Martha McSally seems to have 
a little bit deeper connection to John Bolton than uh, many senators would seem to have. Talk about that for a bit. We should remember that Bolton, you know, for those who aren't really familiar with him, he is a luminary in Republican circles when it comes to foreign policy. He is also very engaged in the political careers of a lot of his fellow Republican colleagues. And McSally has detailed her respect, the level of respect that she has for Bolton. She wrote in 2018, right after he was named the president's national security advisor, she wrote in a column that was published by the Washington Times about the deep respect that she has for him and how he approaches relationships with other countries, how he, you know, views the country's, you know, standing internationally and and his tactics in approaching different countries and different foreign leaders on the international stage. She wrote in that column that he is known for being frank and direct. She writes, I can relate to and appreciate these qualities. I would hope every advisor to the president on national security issues has these attributes. They are absolutely necessary when you're working with sensitive information that impacts the safety and security of our nation. I have no doubt in my mind that he will always tell the president what he thinks and make the hard arguments. Okay, so that's how she has viewed him in the past. His perspective is especially important right now because according to witnesses who were testifying during the House impeachment inquiry and in the evidence that's been uh, put forward to the Senate to this point, Bolton described this whole scheme to pressure Ukraine to open an investigation into uh, Joe and Hunter Biden as a drug deal. So the pressure here on McSally becomes interesting that she may find it difficult to dismiss uh, out of hand the words of somebody like John Bolton if he were to essentially support that line of thinking that this was a bad idea and he didn't he didn't support that. Yeah, I tend to agree. I guess the question here becomes, does she get cover from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in some form or fashion? You know, do, does do Republicans go in and agree as a caucus that they are going to open it up? to witnesses? Does she get to avoid, you know, taking a hard vote along with vulnerable senators like Susan Collins uh, and Cory Gardner of Colorado uh, and and just kind of let the leader, you know, take the hit on this? I mean, remember, a lot of these, these Republicans are finding out about this manuscript and about Bolton's upcoming book out of nowhere. Uh, the New York Times found out about what Bolton intended to to say in this book before uh, the very Republicans who have been, you know, helping defend the president against impeachment. Okay, so John Bolton is someone with whom Martha McSally has had at least some kind of prior relations. She has sketched out her thinking on him. She also has kind of a unique relationship with the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. Talk to us a bit about that. So that is a relationship that we cannot understate or overstate the significance of. I mean, it is a very, very important relationship between the two of those. In 2018, McConnell's Political Action Committee poured in $20 million, estimated $20 million, into her Senate campaign. And she lost that race. Hey everybody, I just called Kirsten Cinema and congratulated her on becoming Arizona's first female senator after a hard-fought battle. It's important to note, too, that McConnell reportedly was working behind the scenes to try to get McSally appointed 
to the Senate seat. And if you remember, the appointment came after the death of the late Senator John McCain and after Senator John Kyle, who temporarily uh, served in the Senate, decided that he wasn't going to do so any longer. So Governor Doug Ducey appointed McSally. Fox 10 News Alert. We have learned that Martha McSally has been appointed to uh, John Kyle's Senate seat because he decided he didn't want the seat for very long, right? So she owes a lot, uh, not just to him, but to the people who are donating to that PAC. One other layer of intrigue to the whole impeachment matter for Martha McSally is she's on the ballot again in November. She's facing a very well-funded Democrat in Mark Kelly, who has an interesting history as well. He is the husband of former Representative Gabrielle Giffords, sort of a revered figure here in Arizona in many ways after she was nearly assassinated in 2011. Um, how does Mark Kelly view this whole impeachment trial? Is he, uh, you know, making his views on the issue clear? And is he taking advantage of their presence in Washington? So every now and then, Mark Kelly will pop up and be like, hey, over here, I have something to say. And I, I sound a lot like Kirsten Cinema, you know, but I've got more than Kirsten has to say. Uh, so he maintains he wants a fair trial and all the evidence must be considered. And uh, he clearly is on the side of Democrats when it comes to some of the issues that they have already voted on, some of the amendments that they've taken up when it comes to evidence and witnesses. But he is taking advantage of McSally being tied to Capitol Hill. I mean, while she's there for six day work weeks, he's running around the state, you know, meeting and greeting with you know, folks from Flagstaff to, you know, all over the valley. He's fundraising. Um, he's been very busy when it comes to the campaign. And, you know, McSally acknowledged as much in a column that she wrote for the Arizona Republic this week, talking about how, you know, I'm over here, you know, doing the people's work. And this guy, you know, my, my Democratic opponent is out there glad handing it, you know, glad handing his way through the state. And no one's even asking him a hard question. Well, it's because everybody's focused on the impeachment. So it's the, the political calendar is something that means a lot to both of them. And, uh, you know, I think, frankly, the given the fundraising numbers, Mark Kelly is, is beating uh, McSally when it comes to fundraising. I think every appearance and every phone call and every block that the Senate that that Senator McSally has set aside for call time to raise money is important. And every moment that she doesn't have to do that is lost. Okay, so you mentioned uh, asking hard questions. Martha McSally was asked a relatively hard question by Manu Raju uh, a few weeks ago. And we all know how that one turned out with her essentially insulting him as a liberal hack. Um, seems like she has really sort of leaned in on supporting the president, his agenda, and um, casting her lot with him. And his, his elective fortunes in Arizona seem like will go the longest way to determining how viable she is uh, as well. I think there's a lot of people who think of the Senate race and think of Senator McSally in a traditional way. They think at some point, perhaps she will pivot. She will try to build a coalition of independent voters and uh, moderate Republicans. I don't think that that's what we're going to see from her. I think what we're seeing is who she is and is how she will 
play in 2020, and that is doubling down, staying close to Trump, as close as you can to Trump, maybe, you know, departing from him every now and then, but by and large, staying very close to him and hoping and praying that Republicans can expand the number of voters who turn out in 2020. And these Republican voters are fired up. They are ready to vote for Trump. They think that he is um, being unfairly targeted by by uh, Democrats. This is something that Martha McSally has uh, articulated herself behind closed doors to Republicans. They feel like he is being unfairly treated. So I wouldn't necessarily discount this strategy. Um, I think it is a strategy that uh, both the president and Mitch McConnell and <laughs> Senator McSally thinks is going to win in 2020. Okay, so you're you're hinting at her election strategy and such. How is she behaving any different, you know, tonally or or substantively in 2020 than she did in 2018? I don't necessarily think that she is behaving any differently. I think that she is going to strike the same sort of posture that she struck in 2018. Every now and then you will uh, see her, you know, try to take a, a you know, a states, stateswoman-like approach to answering questions uh, by the press who she clearly disdains um, about, you know, uh, health care or uh the questions about the impeachment trial, questions about uh, prescription drug prices, and she will want to be she wants to be seen as pragmatic and moderate. But the reality is, we've we've all looked at her voting record. She votes overwhelmingly with Trump and his agenda, like ninety six percent of the time. And so there are very few instances where she is departing with the president along party lines. And expect for her to talk a lot about that in the upcoming race. I mean, that is something that she is definitely leaning into, especially when it comes to judicial votes. I mean, she has helped reshape the judicial bench. And that is something that is very, very important to uh, conservative voters who are going to come out and vote for Trump no matter everything else uh, because of the pro-life issue. Okay, so let's talk about Kirsten Cinema for just a moment as well. The suspense about her vote and her thinking on impeachment is mainly due because of her sort of centrist image, her uh, persona as a moderate politically. Um, her vote to um, go along with Democrats when they were first sketching out the rules and then also uh, what we think she's going to want in terms of witnesses and such. What does this tell us about her, if anything? So I think she is certainly trying to give a very consistent impression that she is uh, taking this matter very seriously and that she just is not going to weigh in until she has all of the facts. I mean, that is where she has been uh, from the get-go on this. So she really hasn't provided any real insight into whether she's going to vote to convict or not. But uh, she has a law degree. That's something that we should all keep in mind. And she really is kind of leaning in on those studies and that background as she weighs witness testimony and committee reports, and she's been taking a lot of notes. Um, she has been regarded by some as a potential Democratic vote to acquit because of her centrist voting record that you've talked about. 
I don't know that I'm necessarily convinced on that matter. She does invoke the Constitution and her reverence for the Constitution um, quite a bit. As a juror, it will be my constitutional duty to approach it with no bias and to listen to the arguments presented by both sides and make a decision. And on something this big, it would be just very difficult to imagine her breaking from from the party, um, especially in light of all the examinations we've done of her um, of her voting record and on every major piece of legislation she has stuck with her party. That's right. So I'm thinking of her when she was last in the House. Um, probably the two most important votes in that Congress were uh, the uh, Trump tax cuts, which she opposed. Uh, she has since come around to a portion of the Trump tax cuts, but uh, back then she voted against it. And even more importantly, the Affordable Care Act. Um, she's been a uh, pretty unstinting critic, critic of the ACA in many ways. But, you know, when push came to shove and repeal was on the table, Kirsten Cinema was uh, right there with all her fellow Democrats on that. So she has not abandoned her party on the most consequential votes in her career. This one is obviously taking it up to an even higher level. But um, given what she has done in the past and, and the language that she sort of put out there in recent months, it seems like uh, you know she, she would view this thing more lawyerly and want witnesses and view this as a threat to the Constitution. Okay. So, you know, basically as I'm scoping back and looking at this, it feels like Martha McSally's position is sort of already determined. She has to stay close to the president. She has to stay close to the Senate majority leader. Um, despite her ties to any witnesses that may be relevant to all of this, she really kind of is in a tough place, especially politically, that she's on the ballot in November. When I look at Kirsten Cinema, you know, this is somebody who won't be on the ballot again until 2024. One way of thinking of this is, you know, four years after the Clinton impeachment trial, you think many senators lost their jobs because of how they voted on that thing? I mean, that would have been 2003-ish, 2004. I mean, it just felt like a very distant event at that time. Um, it seems like for Kirsten Cinema, she has the luxury of time to better define herself to her constituents, whatever the vote on impeachment. And she's pretty buttoned up on almost everything. She rarely gets out in front of her uh, votes. She rarely previews her votes. And it's something she really doesn't care a whole lot about. I mean, she's gotten a lot of criticism from the left uh, about a lot of her votes and for not being uh, democratic enough. But, you know, she's playing a long game. She's got five years now. Uh, this thing, I think you're right, is going to be in the rearview mirror for her unless she votes um, with Republicans on this one. If she votes with Republicans, she is going to draw a primary challenger. Mark my words. I don't know that, you know, it would be a competitive race, but she certainly uh, would have at least somewhat of a fight. Okay, you heard it here first, right? The Democratic primary that may or may not happen. Okay, Gaggle listeners, that's all we have for you today. If you like our show, don't forget to rate and review it. Another reminder, as election season ramps up, we'll have more and more bonus episodes with political experts, candidates for president, who knows who will be on the show. We have a bunch of fun stuff planned ahead, so be sure to subscribe and tell a friend about our show. This episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley with oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.